So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Yes, welcome back to the show. I hope you guys are having an incredible week. In fact, you are having an incredible week because a lot of you have been sharing your wins with us on social media this week. Yeah. And, uh, Wow, you guys are killing it, which is so like it's so inspiring for us when we hear success stories about you guys going out there and actually putting the stuff that we're saying and our guests are saying, actually putting it into action and and seeing like real time, real world results. That is, I mean, that's just huge for us. Yeah, I think also good, happy, good Friday. Um, you've now got four days to actually do whatever you want to and hopefully follow your passion a bit more and drive a bit further towards your goal. Are you saying that everyone should just work for the next four days and not? I think they should do something that makes them happy. And if that is working towards their goal, then yes. What if it's eating loads of eggs? Then if that's what's making, that's what I'm going to be doing. So <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, um, thank you for, uh, for inspiring us. Um, cause I know a lot of you write in the reviews on iTunes that, um, we're inspiring you, but literally you guys are inspiring us. So thank you for that. Um, we have some really, really exciting stuff going on with the show at the moment. Um, I don't know. Can we tell them about it? Yeah, I think, yeah. Next week we've got a, a pretty exciting week ahead of us. Um, uh, we're flying to New York to, on a podcast tour. And some of the guests that we have lined up for you are amazing incredible like it's going to be so good so we're very excited about that um a lot of you have been reaching out as usual asking us questions and uh we got an interesting question this week someone dropped me a dm on instagram and at adam brazier at adam brazier and they've basically got the issue of they're currently working in nine to five and they've got a bit of a side hustle but want to know when to take that leap from leaving their nine to five into just freelance yeah that's a tricky one it's a really hard situation to be in everyone has it at some point when they leave a nine-to-five and go into freelance working for themselves and i feel like it's never going to be easy if you are fortunate that you're currently earning enough in your side hustle to facilitate your life as it is then that's very fortunate for you but most people won't have that i think starting a business starting doing anything for yourself it's going to be a sacrifice somewhere. Yeah, there's definitely risk involved. Walking away from a guaranteed paycheck um, into the uncertainty of, of freelance life is is a scary step to take. Uh, I mean, this week's blog, uh, I mean, you didn't know this, but that kind of ties in really nicely because this week's blog um, is titled um, What to Do When You're Stuck. Mm -hmm. And it basically talks about um, being stuck in a dead end job because I was stuck in a dead end job yeah. that I hated and wanted to get out of and I wasn't I couldn't really see the wood for the trees and I wasn't really sure so I've kind of broken down in the in this blog kind of the the steps to take um, because I think there's a really romantic notion that is quite popular of 
the just go out in a blaze of glory and throw your computer out the window and punch Gerard in the face and just tell your boss to fuck off and just like ride into the sunset because you're now yeah. going to go and do your thing. Um, I've met people that have done that. Well, I mean, they didn't punch their boss in the face, but <laughs> I've, I've met people that have done that. They've yeah. gone out in a blaze of glory and then their their side hustle hasn't worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I So what I advocate is being prepared, like giving yourself a buffer of like, I mean, I'd like to say like six months to a year of wages yeah, in the six bank. Six months is what I've heard people say before. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think if you, if this is a plan you've got to do going forward, start saving now and start like, stop spending money on things you don't need. Start saving, getting that little bank because it will sort you out going forward. And I think also when you do take that leap, you've got more time to apply to that thing that you're now doing. Whereas you didn't have that before. You only had your weekends and what you were doing outside of work. And maybe if you were lucky, you could sneak a bit during your actual normal work day. But um, most people probably don't have that. But you will be spending more time on growing it. So you've kind of got to put the faith in yourself that if you've grown it to a stage where you're at that brink of, do I do this? Do I not do this? You're probably at a stage that if you put all of your energy into it, that it probably would succeed yeah and especially if you know that you've got if you know you've got six months in the bank then you can you can fail Mm -hmm. for the next six months you can learn and grow for that whole time and the the pressure's kind of off yeah i think by six months as well that's the six months assuming you're going to get nothing from your side hustles if you've already got a certain like 20 percent of your current salary as a side hustle coming already don't include that just think like if all the work dried up tomorrow could I survive for this six months? Yeah. And the scary thing is, is those sacrifices that are kind of crucial, aren't they? Because a lot of us have got mortgages, kids, all of the extra pressures. And especially if there's other people relying on you, I think that's a really big one. Yeah. Um, But if you take that sacrifice now, because like you, you may have to move into a smaller house or, um, sell your car or like what, whatever it is, like you might have to take certain cuts in your life, but in the short term, but they will equal like this amazing long term if you actually yeah. do it, cause that will be what facilitates you. Cause you don't, you probably don't need to, if we look at, at that friend of ours that we both know that always has the flashiest car. Yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know how I'm talking yep. about. <laughs> and, uh, he does not need to drive those cars and it's yeah. for him is very much like a status thing. Mm-hmm he could just drive a car that gets him from A to B that he can drop his kids off at school and whatever. Um, and then that will save X amount of money per month. And, and I think it's, it's looking through like, don't spend what you don't have. Yeah. Um, and work out what you need and what you don't need. Mm -hmm. Because I think you'd be surprised like what, how much you actually need to get by. Yeah. Uh, And I think as well, just from a absolutely logical, safe thing to do, don't do it if you're currently in debt like get rid of the debt first, get yourself financially stable and then go into it because if you've got debts over your head that are stressing you out and then you've got like this new business or new venture stressing you out, you're just going to absolutely break down. You need to get yourself in as comfortable situation as possible to kind of take the blow when you do make that leap. I mean, the internet is, just use the internet. There's so much advice, free advice online of how to get out of debt. There's loads of blogs, um, and don't believe that you have to pay for a course to learn how to get out of debt because they are just preying on the weakest of... Everything you need is free on the internet somewhere. 
like you can probably find out anything you need from youtube yeah and and it may take you three years to get to the stage where you're out of debt and now you can start to save your six months your six months time so like you're not actually going to start doing your side hustle for like full on for another three and a half years yeah but life is long and in the grand scheme of things three and a half years is nothing and a massive positive on the, the flip side of it is if you start doing that and you've got this six month buffer and you don't actually need that you've then got loads of cash in the bank to help grow your new business or do something awesome with yeah put it into marketing or yeah because i mean literally when we when we started graffiti life we we put every penny back into the business we literally just took out what we needed to survive on um which was like minimal minimal and then everything else went back into the business and still does to a to a large degree yeah i think it's the long game isn't it it's don't just take all the money out for the short wins reinvest everything back into it as long as possible because then you're growing something that's strong and stable and will hopefully last the test of time your business might evolve and it might change but everything that you learn from doing that side hustle will it will form you and help you and shape you into the next thing that you go on to and i think that's that segues perfectly into this week's guest because that's exactly what he did um this week's guest is paul mcgregor and he he had his business that was in fashion which is completely unrelated to what he's doing now which is in mental health but he everything that he learned about producing content and all of that sort of stuff he then took forward and applied it to the stuff he's doing with mental health yeah paul talks about it on the episode and it's super interesting so Paul McGregor is a mental health advocate. Uh, he makes a lot of content around mental health, suicide awareness and prevention, and he's a positive force in a, in a lot of people's lives. So Paul's driven to make um, a lot of this, of this content because uh, his dad actually committed suicide. And I think it's really interesting in this episode how I was actually struggling to put a coherent sentence together in asking Paul about his dad's suicide, uh, which I think shines a light on how um difficult it is that we find it in this country to actually talk about death um and and how kind of awkward i felt around that and uh i mean paul's a pro so he uh he handled it with ease and it was such an interesting conversation and it was really positive and uplifting so rather than lingering too much on the stats of depression and suicide and all of that sort of stuff um we talked a lot more about the uh practical ways that that paul is making waves within the mental health space and how he's um, turning that into his career so i hope you guys enjoy it in this episode we talk about mental health content creation and that published is better than perfect there's pieces of content that I've created that I've scripted out that I've you know researched and thought this is going to do amazingly and it's just bombed like no one's been interested and then there's a, a few videos where I've grabbed a camera in my car and started speaking about a topic that was on my mind at that time and they've done extremely well. Hello, Paul McGregor. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Good. I'm um, excited. It's different with two microphones in, or microphones in the way of us normally talking. We don't normally talk with. Yeah, yeah. No, we normally uh, we're normally not chatting on. Uh, normally, our conversations aren't being recorded. Yeah. Uh, it's nice you have a life outside of this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only speak to people on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All of my friends are previous guests. So yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you for saying yes to doing the podcast. Um, you. Uh, 
You say yes to a lot, don't you? <laughs> At the moment, yeah. yeah. I never used to, but now I just say, it depends on what I'm saying yes to. That's yeah. a bold question. I don't say yes to everything. But... I was just listening to your podcast recently and you were, you were talking about the, the three magic letters, Y-E-S. Yeah. Um, and just sort yes. of, I guess a lot of, um, a lot of opportunities have come your way just yeah. through agreeing to do different stuff. Yeah, so last year I made a big change in just saying yes to more opportunities. Whereas before, I think I used to protect my ego in a way mm-hmm. and be like, I don't want to do that. I might look, you know, bad or it might not work out. And it sounds so, you know, simple, but just saying yes to a lot more. Yeah. It's opened up a lot more doors. Yeah, that's great. And I think your goal is to inspire as many people as possible. Um, and so, yes, if you can get in front of people, then you can spread your message. So that's a good mm. thing. Yeah. And I think we, we touched on it before about how, saying yes is is you don't know what opportunities are going to come from that yes yeah so in the past even if you're not getting paid to do something a lot of the times i would say no because I, I want paying but just saying yes to it you might do that speech or you know a collaboration with someone or, or whatever it is and you don't know what's going to come off the back of that how do you qualify the yes and no's mm, good question <laughs> <laughs> i think it depends on time like you have to protect your time as well yeah that is a good question i think it depends on whether or not it's something that I do feel I'll give value to. Mm-hmm. So if someone reaches out and they say, Can you, and it doesn't seem like I'm going to give value to them, then I'll, I'll say no. Yeah. But if there's an opportunity where I feel like I can deliver some value, as you say, whether it's to one person or, or more, that's when I say yes. Yeah. So when it came to um, promoting your book, that's just that's obviously just come out and been hugely successful. You've sold out the first run, right? Yes, the first print run sold out before it came out, which is great. Amazing. Um, and then it wasn't a huge print run, but it was still a good print run. And then, yeah, it's, 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 again, it's, for me, it's another piece of content. Like you probably see, I do a lot of content online. And for me, it was just give it to them in book form, give it to videos, yeah. do posts, do written format. And um, the book was just more details and it was another form of content for me but again it's it's been astounding in terms of the success that it had in terms of my own expectations of it for me when you started writing the book had you done lots of writing before that or was this kind of like your first got shot at it yeah good question um so i was i used to write for the fashion industry yeah so the first business was a menswear online store and then it was an online magazine so I used to write a lot of content around men's fashion and I didn't know much about it. And I used to just Google it and <laughs> um, write on it. So I'd done a bit of writing there, but this book was more about, I wrote a lot of what went in and into it just privately mm-hmm. about seven years ago, six years ago, because it's around obviously my dad's suicide and kind of how I processed it and how I was dealing with it. So a lot of the writing was just a way of me dealing with it. Yeah. It was almost like therapy. And then, yeah, turning it into a book, it, I had to revisit it all again and change a lot of it. And there was times where it was therapeutic, there was times, times where it was really annoying, it was really upsetting, it was really, <laughs> you know, sometimes I didn't want to revisit it, but I had to, to hit the deadlines, etc. But yeah, I, I was writing before that, but at the beginning, there was no intention of it being turned into a book. Mm. So was, yeah. Yeah, for me, as I was reading it, there was, I, I had to put it down at certain points because it, mm. was, it was too hard. And I didn't even go through it. Yeah. Um, so I can't imagine how it was writing it, just re- yeah. reliving everything. It was, it was yeah, it was, it was strange to kind of write it. And it was funny because I wrote the first chapter and then it became very self-helpy. 
So it was something along the lines of nine lessons I've learned from my dad's suicide. And it was like, number one, do this. Number two, do that. And when the publishers saw that first initial manuscript, I remember we had a meeting with them and they said, yeah, the first chapter's good. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> what about the rest? No, 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 no. We want to ditch the rest and we want you to tell the whole story. So those lessons they wanted me to embed into story and how I realized them and mm-hmm. what happened, etc. So that was the hard thing, re- going back and trying to add a lot more to it. And also through the process of, of writing it, as you guys know, your life's always changing. I was writing it and then, you know, my brother had his accident and he's trying to get that into it. And do I talk about it or do I leave that out? And it was, yeah, it was a hard process. I don't, I don't know if I'd do it again. <laughs> no, I would, I would do it again. Yeah. A lot of people say that about writing a book, don't they? About how, like, if you want to make money, don't write a book. It's not for that. It's, it's for a different reason for spreading a message or, or helping you gain, help people finding out about your cause and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've never ever used it as a way of making money. And I think this is the issue that a lot of people have when they sign a deal with a publisher yeah. or it's, they see it as that's the holy grail to their success. I've never ever seen it like that. It's purely, I, I don't know how much money I've made off it. I haven't made a lot. I've never even really looked into detail of it because it isn't much for me to, to brag about yeah. but as you say the reason why I did it is one it was telling the full story two it was if you want to read the book rather than watch a video on social media it's now there and three as you say is, is a lot of it is about positioning as well you know if you're that author if you've got a book if you've got you know it led to an interview on Sky News which is again just as another stepping stone and some more press coverage and people still see books as positioning and yeah definitely more of like an authority if you have a book on yeah if you're the author of this and it's suddenly that little level up exactly yeah so yeah again that was a big um benefit of so you're active on a lot of different social platforms what's your one of choice would you say oh that's changed so i I look at gary v a lot and i don't know if you saw the um content deck that he put out have you seen that i have seen that yeah so it's like a 30 40 slide deck about how he turns one piece of content into 30 40 different pieces of content and reading that really opened my eyes to actually using multiple social platforms so before i always i i sort of consult on social media as well and i always tell people just use one i just focus all in on one do that very well and then you can move them across to other platforms once you've got that following Um, but for this one now, it was... So have you changed that advice now? I, sh- I still advise that. Yeah. If you're trying to create a lot of content, which I'm doing, it's best to get it into as many platforms as possible. So it always used to be YouTube for me. Now it's not. Then Facebook started to do really well. Then Instagram started to overtake that. Twitter and LinkedIn were two that I just was... Ne- I didn't have a, a following on at all. Mm. Whereas now those two are the best for me. Wow. So it's LinkedIn is, is probably the best platform for me at the moment. It's like you, I put a video out and organically it will get more views than any of the other. And, and that's because of the, there's more organic reach on LinkedIn currently. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's like the Facebook of six years ago where yeah. they didn't, they had, it's a lot more organic reach. And also as well, LinkedIn is a platform. They don't expect a guy to pop up, yeah. start talking about you know, suicide and mental health yeah. and, you know, mental health in the workplace. It's probably maybe not what they expect. They get involved, they share it. And then, yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, it's trying to get them across all platforms because I think people interact differently on each platform too. Yeah. Cause I think in a lot of, different offices 
if your boss walks over and you're on LinkedIn, oh, that's fine. And so essentially, <laughs> there's a lot of people posting like Facebook type content because I've noticed recently I'm, I, I'll see something, I'll see like a funny video on Facebook mm. and then two weeks later, it's on LinkedIn yeah, and, exactly. it's, and it gets like so much more interaction on LinkedIn than it does on Facebook. And I feel like, yeah, LinkedIn's the sneaky Facebook that you it can is. actually check in front of your boss. <laughs> and I've got no strategy of LinkedIn at the moment because all I'm doing is, as you say, posting on my old video. So I'm just going, I've got, I don't know, say 50 to 100 videos that have been put on Facebook, YouTube, etc. And now I'm just posting them on LinkedIn. People haven't seen them on that platform. Yeah. So it's just, I've got no strategy. I'm just posting my old stuff on there and it's seeming to do well. But on that note as well, one of the reasons why I never used to do that was, again, a lot to do with ego. So I remember putting a video on Twitter and it got 20 views. Mm-hmm. And it's quite embarrassing to get 20 views, especially when you're pouring your heart out about yeah. mental health. And the old me with that ego would have been like, delete that video and never post on Twitter again. But all it was is I left it up there and then I put another video out, 20, 30 views, mm-hmm. another video out and it got a lot of retweets and I think that hit, I don't know, six, 7,000 views. So then the next time you put a video out, you're going to hit 100 views and then you just continue the process. Mm-hmm. And now Twitter has completely shifted. It's where I'm getting probably most of the awareness alongside LinkedIn as well. I love how self-aware you are that you understand that it was ego that was holding you back in the yeah. beginning. Um, cause I mean, you've, you've walked away from a YouTube channel with like 40,000 subscribers. Yeah. 46, 46,000. I don't know where we're going to go with this one <laughs> because I, again, this is, this is me. I, I believe I made a huge mistake with that now. Really? Yeah. Okay, because I tried about. starting a, a brand new channel and starting yeah. all from scratch. Why, why did you start from scratch? Because that channel was based around me giving fashion tips. Okay. Okay. And then I started to do mental health videos mm-hmm. and they just didn't receive very well because yeah. they'd subscribe to see me talk yeah. about suits and etc. Now, they were still getting about a thousand views, but I was comparing that to my old videos where I was getting 10, 15,000 mm-hmm. views. So I thought with the YouTube algorithm, I'm not being, um, I'm not benefiting from having 45,000 subscribers and only being, only reaching 800 people, etc. So I set up a brand new channel and thought I'm just going to start from scratch again. Now I've just started to post on that channel and, and then I haven't updated it for the last two months because I'm getting 80 views a video and it's like I'm starting all from scratch again. It's just funny you say that because the other day I thought I need to just maybe get another hit to the ego and actually go back to that channel and just start start again and just you know build up that profile again because yeah, I, think, I mean you've got to follow your own your own advice haven't yeah, you it's, it's, it's a strange one as well because i was looking at comments i used to always get comments on my fashion videos and that's changed i've got mental health videos on that channel that talks about school and depression and that's got ten thousand views and it gets sort of four comments a day now and i've got one on like letting go of guilt and one on mouse suicide and they're mm-hmm. getting more comments than the fashion videos now so now i'm thinking to myself people are finding me via that channel and now I'm not updating it anymore. So yeah, I've toyed with the idea and I might actually just publish a video on that channel and pretend that I never ever tried to delete it and see if I can get away with it. But Yeah, it might, it might be interesting. I think the stuff that you're talking about can affect anyone. Mm. So, and probably every single person who is subscribed to you, there's something there that they will have dealt with or wanted to deal with. So yeah. it'll just be like a happy accident that they kind of um, yeah. fall into. Yeah, I, I, thought suppose- about pack- sorry, I thought about packaging up 
it as me anyway. Like I talk about, I've got fashion videos on there now. That's that was a part of yeah who I am. It still is a little. Yes, yeah, so you came you came from fashion, yeah. really, didn't you? Um, yeah, so that was sort of um, as a young, like really young entrepreneur, you were making money on the internet from yeah. quite an early age. So yeah, nineteen. I started shortly after dad's um, suicide. I kind of I was selling on eBay, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Um, I remember I used to buy, I don't know if you ever remember academics tracksuits. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> I do, oh, yeah. yeah. It's probably, it's yeah, it's probably a there thing. somewhere. Yeah, AK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my, I don't know if my friends know this, but they will, will if they listen to this. I used to buy them off eBay and then sell them to them for like a fiver extra. So like <laughs> buy a tracksuit for £30, sell it to them for 35 And then I, I used to sell on eBay. And then, yeah, I started an online store when I was 19. But yeah, going back, I think that that's a big part of me that I tried to walk in away from, but I, I don't need to essentially walk away from it. And I've yeah. got videos up there about business, me doing talks, and still that's a part of me. It doesn't always have to be mental health. If yeah, that so makes you could just, sense. instead of just completely getting rid of it, just re- like refine it. Yeah. And maybe take away some of the fashion videos that are there and just leave a section, because that is still who you are. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who subscribe to you will like you for you rather than just the content that you're posting. So a lot of YouTubers who I follow, if they started doing other things, I'd still watch it because I like them as people and I like to see what they're up to and what they're doing. Yeah, you see it with like the, like I'm a fitness influencer and then they have a kid and then they become a mummy blogger and yeah. it just, people Very follow true, them yeah. because they're invested in their stories. Yeah, and I think people's lives evolve as well like you were that kid who bought tracksuits once you're not going to be that kid forever you can't mm. you can't be like 70 when you've had this channel for like 60 yeah, yeah. years and still be posting tracksuit videos because the audience shifts the audience grows with you and i think like they'll happily follow along with that i mean a 70 year old with tracksuit videos will get a lot of views that yeah, that's, that's, a, good, yeah. that's, a, good, that's a good strategy that is. but no I, I agree and that's what i've kind of been thinking recently is it's just use that as a platform yeah. to what's the channel called it's just under my name. So just exactly. So it's, it's you. It's not. It's per- it is yeah. perfect. Yeah. So it's, again, I, I thought about this for a while, but again, it's my, you know, it's that fighting back of, I can't go back to it. I just said that I'm walking away from it, but you know, it is, people can change their mind. People That's can fine. change their mind. And the video might be about how to deal with your own mistakes and <laughs> tie it in there somehow. Yeah. But. Maybe start to how to deal with your fashion disasters and <laughs> yeah. then like slowly transition it over to some more serious. Yeah. Stuff. But no, for me, the content, I used to create a lot of content around men's style. And, and as you guys know, when you create content, it's just when I fell out of passion with it, it was just so difficult to do. So now talking about mental health and sharing my story, I'm more, it's more on purpose. I'm more passionate mm-hmm. about doing it. So creating content comes a lot easier. I think auth- authenticity is obviously really important to you. Mm. So you are who you say you are. You're like brutally honest and you, you've managed to build up. I think you've built it up over time, this resistance to giving a shit what people think and actually just posting it out. And would you say that, your kind of most vulnerable content, the times where you're like, I'm, I don't know if I can post this video and then you actually go ahead and post, you're getting a lot of kind of feedback from people. Yeah, 100%. And I'm, I'm still, I've still got a bit of something that holds me back sometimes. But it's, as you say, if you push through it and, and just do it. Yeah, every, there's pieces of content that I've created that I've scripted out that I've, you know, researched and thought this is going to do amazingly and it's just bombed. Like no one's been interested. And then mm. there's a, a few videos where I've grabbed a camera in my car and started speaking about a topic that was on my mind at that time. And they've done extremely well. So I think when, luckily, 
coming from the fashion industry, every post had to be perfected. Yeah. I couldn't just put a photo of me wearing what I'm wearing today. I'd have to wear a suit. I'd have to come up with a nice caption. But talking about something as vulnerable and open and honest as I do now, I don't have to worry about perfecting it. It's purely what I'm trying to get across. Yeah, I mean, Paul's wearing a chicken suit currently, so <laughs> he does look a bit odd. Yeah, um, in the bag. <laughs> so you built up to like the content that you're producing now. You learned how to do that content when you were doing the fashion stuff, right? 100%, yeah. So it was, again, it was 2010. I had the online store and I wasn't making any sales. Um, I think my mum bought a couple of tires and that was it. And um, Google was big back then. So I remember looking at search engine optimization and studying that and trying to work on that. But again, that is going to take time. So I thought I'm going to get David Beckham to wear one of my watches and everything's going to explode. But a 19 year old living at home, you know, operating this from his bedroom, just, it was never going to happen. I was never going to get David Beckham. wasn't answering your calls. He just wasn't, he just wasn't interested. (laughs) So selfish. Um, And I was on YouTube back in 2010. I found a guy, Aaron Marino. He had 20,000 subscribers. He was making videos in his bedroom. This is like pre-influencer marketing. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to him. I, he says, you know, send me this scarf, send me this watch. And um, he did this video for me. And I was on holiday, a lad's holiday of all my friends. And this was pre-using your phone abroad. So I had to go to the hotel yeah. lobby and log on to one of the computers to see if I had any orders, hoping that maybe I had one. And there was just floods of orders that had come in. I was, what's happened? What's, what? And I traced it back very quickly to Aaron had then published this video. And on that note, I saw how impactful this was. Yeah. You know, creating, he was creating videos in his bedroom about what to wear. And I said to myself at that day, I need to do what he's doing. There's no one else doing it. I need to be like him. I'm the UK equivalent. He's American. There's loads of space out there. I shot a video when I got home. I deleted it. I shot a video a couple of months later. I put it on there. I deleted it because I had huge fear of what my friends say. You know, what would people say? And on that note, four years later, Aaron had over half a million there was four or five that just hit 100k mm-hmm. that were talking about men's style and there i was still really like oh i can't do it everyone will kind of joke around but when i actually cut you know got the courage to start sharing videos that's when i started to learn a lot about content creation in that space and the fashion industry is a lot so f- quick so fast you have to, to compete with everyone you have to post a lot so using what i've learned in that industry for the mental health stuff how did you get the courage to start posting? It's a good question. I did two. And again, if you go into my YouTube channel, you'll probably find them. They're just me in a suit in my lounge with a mannequin. <laughs> and um, you can tell I'm probably reading something. They were just so scripted. And then I just posted them three or four and then I stopped again. And then I started working with a mentor and it was more of he was just trying to sort my sort of mindset out yeah. a little bit. And he called me out. He was like, um, something along the lines of, you not sharing your videos, you're actually doing a disservice to people. You know, you've got something to tell, you've got something to say. Mm. You, you know, worrying about what your friends are going to say. He was really going at me, like really going at me. And he said, "Um, what I want you to do for the next 30 days, you don't have to publish them, is just grab a a Gorillapod, Mm -hmm. your camera, put it on a, a table and just hit record and then just talk. So no editing, no scripting, nothing. And I actually published those videos. And that was a big game changer for me because then it got me used to actually recording yeah. more and more. And yeah, the more, more I posted, the, the easier it, it simply became. I suppose when you post as well, you realise the world didn't fall around 
fall down around you. And- exactly. And even if my friends did joke about it, and or if someone did leave it, I've had some really bad negative comments. But as Gary V says, you know, why would you let someone in the Philippines who says that your forehead is massive affect your life and your mission yeah. and what you want to try and accomplish? Yeah, it's it, we're so scared of other people's opinions, aren't we? And it yeah. holds holds so many people back. And I, I especially think creative people who if they're creating work and they're and they're like they've poured their heart into it it's so hard for a lot of people to just like or share their photos online that they've made or painting or and and talking to camera a lot of people have so much problems with it but and you obviously did but the way you got over that was just by doing it over and over again and getting over it just do more yeah just do more and more and more and the more you publish and even with the platforms you'll see i used to post a lot on youtube and this is just the way my mind works i'm sure everyone else's does there's no videos on instagram because my mates follow me on instagram so it's very i was protecting that i was like you know they might find me on youtube but it's unlikely they're gonna but they all follow me on instagram so if i put something out on instagram or on facebook because you know People from my area are friends of me on Facebook. If yeah. I put something on there, they're actually going to see it. And what so, do they think now? Nothing. Like they all, they're already, they already, they say they support it. To be honest, and yeah. the ones that don't support it are the ones that you don't really want to waste energy on yeah. anyway. Yeah, they weren't your friends anyway, so yeah. yeah. But you may, and also, what someone said to me, your mates will take them. The can I swear? Mates will, take, can, yeah. mates will take the piss out of you. Whatever you do, if your football team loses, they take the piss out of you. Yeah. If you do a video on Instagram, they will take the piss out of you. Just how mates were. Yeah, you drink a pint slowly, they'll take the piss yeah. out of you. Like, your mates are going to take the piss out of you, yeah. whatever. So. You say something wrong, they'll take the piss yeah. out of you. <laughs> Why not do it? They'll still take the piss out of yeah. you. But no, honestly, they've been so supportive. Everyone everyone has. And again, it's this huge, why have I left it so late to start doing it? But it's a time. But I mean, now you're you're kind of voraciously going after it. So, I mean, yeah, it's great. I'm your content machine. You're producing all the time. And like you say, all of those different pillars you're doing, you're doing written word, you're doing all of the different platforms you're doing videos um yeah i i feel like so many people especially if they're in business they have their own business or they're setting up a business i think video is like key it's just Mm. key to success i think it's like such a strong platform um like our youtube channel we're kind of trying to keep to one upload a week but it's it's so tough because the editing and everything takes so long but um for for graffiti life that is not for creative rebels we're not on video with uh with the podcast yet but yeah Um, Yeah, missing a big opportunity here guys it should be a camera yeah we were talking about it today we we will do it we will do it eventually but um then you, yeah, it's just, it's time. I mean, because then we'll, we'd have to edit video as well as audio. So, yeah. I think, yeah. again, it's, it's uh, I suppose, if, as you guys, as, as artists as well, um, it's perfectionism, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's for me, I was, I, I've start, I'm starting a new series where I interview influencers. I think I'm going to call it Behind the Real. And it's basically, especially the menswear influencers, I know yeah. a lot that have got, you know, half a million, millions of followers. And you speak to them one on one and they're talking about, insecurities and worrying about this and then you look at their feed and it's them wearing a suit driving a a Porsche and it's so the idea that I wanted to create is actually try and get them one-on-one and actually get them to open up a little bit and show behind the real show who they really are and I've been putting that off for ages because I wanted to make it perfect I wanted to get a videographer and you know studio and and the other day I did my first interview and I literally drove to his house in Peterborough just set Mm -hmm. up two cameras and just winged it and hoped that it would come out all right and I don't know what it looks like yet, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm trying to get over that perfectionism trap as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool concept, um, and I think we need to, I think we need to deconstruct influencers in inverted commas, and 
how effect like how they are affecting people's lives and sort of uh if you do have a large audience like how you kind of have some sort of responsibility mm. to the to the people that you're that follow you mm. i mean i know we ta- we certainly take our responsibility really seriously um and even just coming down to i mean since having the podcast we've answered every single dm that's come into the creative rebels um instagram like every single one without fail Uh, we've reposted everyone who like has posted on their stories that they're listening to us and all of that sort of stuff and i i don't want to ever get to the i mean eventually we'll get to the stage where we don't have enough time to answer everyone um, but I think like, I never want to forget our audience and cause, because then as soon as you do, then you start to fail because yeah, yeah. the audience will pick up on it. Like our audience knows that this is for them and they're listening right now because they're hoping to like gain something helpful from it and, and go forward after listening to, to like crush whatever it is they're working on. So, yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to intention as well. Like you've got the intent for this podcast and what you're trying to create and, you know where you want to take it it's not like you've sat down and said let's make some money from exactly it's literally this. Let's, let's, that. let's yeah. make some money from a podcast you know mm-hmm. let's go and try and find you know it's it's intent and there's a lot of influencers that now get into it with the intent to make money because mm-hmm. they know they can make money from it Whereas it's our, interesting isn't it it's, 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 it's all about intent and the ones that are doing it for the reason of they enjoy sharing and sharing content and creating content i think will always win long term the ones that are just doing it for sponsorship or a bit of money yeah i think the ones who are doing it for the money at some point they're going to hit a hard point and they're not going to have the drive to go through it because they just don't enjoy it no well i mean you've experienced that haven't you because for a long time you thought that money was the answer and that was what you were driving for um and you eventually you hit a rock in the road and you were just like this is i can't sustain this right yeah so the whole fashion business was purely money i mean I play down the fact that I had an interest in it. I think I did have an interest in it. I always mm-hmm. wanted to direct. I, I kind of did have an interest in it, but it was purely let's make some money from this magazine. Let's make some money from this. And um, yeah, it was it was just chasing a goal and then you'd reach that goal and then the goal would go higher. The next, yeah. And for me, it was because I was, back then I was, I say back then, it was only two years ago. Yeah. I was still really in- insecure and I wanted to show people that I was successful with that mm-hmm. business. So the way that I showed people I was successful with that business was, you know, I was renting a little five bed house with my family. You know, I didn't have a nice car before that. I had a car in finance, which, you know, at 2021 is, you know, was a nice car and we'd go on holidays and, and all of this. And essentially I was making okay money, but I was just spending way above my means, even mm. though I was making more money than I'd ever made. And a lot of that was, so people would say, Paul's happy, Paul's successful. And the, the, the big wake up call for me was I started to dabble in the mental health stuff. So I shared a post and it did really well. And it was, people were messaging me like, you know, this really helped me understand why my dad took his own life or this really helped me um, you know, reading it. And I remember reading these emails in floods of tears and I'm open to admit this. This was three years ago thinking, wow, this is amazing. And then, yeah, but how can I actually turn this into something that I do mm-hmm. as a business? Like, so I just shied away from it and I went back to the fashion business. And then what happened There's a big turning point where my, me and I got married in Italy and I'm older than 16, even though I only look 16. <laughs> um, and then um, my brother was my best man. So my brother's two years older than me. So he was 29 at the time. And we came home on the Saturday. And then on the, on the Tuesday, he was at work. He's a surveyor. He was on site and some steel fell from a hoist. 
um, 15 kilogram still. Yeah. And um, my mum got a phone call and said, Steve's been in an accident. He's still, he's not um, unconscious. He's still talking, but we're going to have to airlift him to the Royal London Hospital. So me and my mum went there just thinking he, we went with an overnight bag thinking that he was concussed and, and we were told that he was in a coma. It was the worst skull fracture that the surgeon had ever seen. And oh. essentially to cut a long story short, my brother was in a coma for, for I think it was just over a month and um, he was in hospital for just under a year sort of recovering from this mm. brain injury. And even now he's still recovering. But I remember at a time where I was back at home just after it happened come to visit him, come home. And I sit, sat there in this lounge and I thought to myself, if, I, if anything happens to me, my family's got nothing. Like yeah. Amy, can't, my wife can't afford this rent. Like, I've got, I'm in debt. I've just paid for this huge wedding that looked great, but you know, I've got no money really to show for it. Yeah. I've got, now I've got two kids. If, I, if anything happens to me, I've got nothing. Literally on paper, nothing. And I took a massive, again, dent to the ego and I turned around and said to Amy, like, we need to do something about this. And I, we moved in with her mum and dad just shortly after we got married for about 10 months. Like rent free, like paying off all the debts. Yeah. And the ego hit that I took by turning around to my mates and everyone saying, I'm moving in with my mother and father-in-law. But now, looking at it now, we're, we own a, a bungalow. It's a nice bungalow that we've renovated ourselves. Yeah. You know, I drive around in my granddad's car because I don't have to pay for it. But I'm a lot happier because... I'm doing something that's more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. That's a very long answer to it, but um, that helps. yeah, it makes perfect sense. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your dad. Um, your dad committed suicide when you were 18, 18. And obviously that, I, I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine what you went through. Um, having read the book, um, like the way that your dad died, like walking out in front of the, the truck as he did. And so not, not that, I mean, somehow, you've managed to pull a massive positive out of something that literally could have spiraled you down into the depths of depression mm. um, and did for a while. Obviously you were, you yeah. were definitely depressed um, for a long while, but this has given you kind of a whole, uh, like, I guess you found your purpose in life, like talking about mental health, preventing this from happening to anyone else. I mean, I, so I guess my question is, why do you think your dad um, committed suicide? That is the question. That's the big question that I don't think I'll ever be able to answer. And it's the question that haunts anyone who's lost someone mm. to suicide. Like, why? So when it first happened, it was, why? Why has this happened? And then it eats away at you for a long period of time because you're trying to answer it. Yeah, And the, the reality of it is, is I'll never, ever know. Like, I can... I can understand it now. I never used to be able to understand it, but now I understand depression more. I mm. understand that it wasn't a decision. It was him being extremely unwell. They say that when someone is suicidal, it's that whole tunnel vision. We were saying to my dad, why are you depressed? You know, you've got a full-time job, you've got family, you've got friends, you're, he's physic- he was physically yeah. fit and you know, money in the bank. And, but to him, he doesn't see that. It's just pure tunnel vision of, he doesn't see any of that meaning in his life. Um, also as well, someone explained it to me as they, this really helped me. They feel like they're a burden to everyone. So when my dad took his life, there was a lot of anger and resentment towards him. Like, did he not love us? Did, yeah. you know, why did, why did he do that? But when, again, when you're, they say when you're in that headspace, it is I'm a burden to everyone around me. And by me taking my life, I'm actually doing them a favor. I'm letting, I'm, I'm making them free. But yeah, before I did actually understand it, there, it was very hard to deal with. And yeah, why he did it, I would never, ever know. But I think you, 
if you have lost someone to suicide, you have to try and accept that, that you will never, ever know. Yeah. And yeah, going back to that as well, there was really low points where I was just, you know, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to do this because my dad's not around. Mm-hmm. But like you say, that just gets you in that negative spiral when you fall deeper and deeper into it. And then you have to make that decision of, you know, do I actually use this and try and move forward or do you just let it consume you and take over and dictate the rest of your life, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I read in the book as well, um, your dad was saving for saving for his retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he, he was going to start a new life at 50. Yeah. So he was saving his dream. It was to retire at 50 and have a mobile home with my mum and just live like a really minimal kind of life. Mm. Um, so he was saving. He worked. My dad was a hard worker. So he had a full time engineer job. He started a part time physiotherapy business. But my dad wasn't like me. He was very safe. He could have, looking at it now, he could have easily gone straight into his business. Um, but he always wanted that security, always wanted that job. But yeah, he was working all the way to try and retire early. But yeah, he took his life at 45. So um, that was a big wake up call to me because it was, that's the way dad saw it. Then I need to actually go and do something that I want to do now rather than wait until I'm at yeah. retirement age. Mm. And obviously it takes, it takes time, but over the years you've reached the point where you've kind of accepted what happened and you've worked out how you're going to let that drive you mm. from now on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I guess your, your kind of mission now is to, I mean, reduce or eliminate these numbers of suicide because I mean suicide's at like an all-time high isn't it yeah it's scary I mean I didn't even know the statistics until three four years ago but biggest killer of men under 45 yeah and the way I word that is as a male under 45 the biggest threat to my own life is me yeah biggest threat biggest killer of young people so again you know the next generation, the biggest threat to their lives is suicide. Yeah, because we talk a lot about men, don't we? But I mean, this is affecting and women also as well. well I, I've recently saw that, you know, when we gender specify an issue like this, male suicide was coming down last year, but teenage girls is actually increasing. So it's, again, trying to treat it as a whole rather than gender specify of this is men, this is women. Yeah. The one that got me the other day was... Something like 224 school children in 2017 and the biggest killer of mums with an under one year old. Wow. So also as well, if you think of, this is how I see it now, the ripple effect of a suicide. So losing my dad to suicide really made me question, am I going to take my own life? It got Mm -hmm. me into depression myself. So if you're a one year old who's just lost their mum to suicide, how much does that affect that baby as well? Mm -hmm. It is scary. And like you say, more needs to be done for it. And I don't know what my goal is, to be honest, but it's just, I think I, I look at it now and what I know now, my dad could still be alive. Like he was dealt with very wrongly and we mm. didn't know how to deal with it. And we said things that we thought were right, but they weren't. And yeah, if we can kind of stop it from happening. I mean, I definitely notice on, certainly on Twitter, I follow a couple of mental health um, sort of advocates on, on Twitter and I, I'm often being told what not to do. So they're saying, oh, well, don't tell someone who's depressed to cheer up. Um, don't tell them that they shouldn't be hiding in their bedroom and, and all of that sort of stuff. But there's not really much advice on like, well, what, what do you say? I'm never going to say to a, a depressed person, oh, cheer up. But I would advocate like thinking positive thoughts. And I see a lot of people on Twitter that are kind of, they, they attack that straight away. They're mm. ready to like, you can't do that. So like, what, what can you do? 
Such a big question. And it's, it's such a hard question as well because of how big mental health is. It's, yeah. you know, it's, so there's a real separation between mental illness and mental health. Like I always say, we all have mental health. We all have a mind and we all deal with stress. We all deal with anxiety. We all deal with, you know, certain emotions, but mental illness is, is very different. So for example, you know, telling someone with bipolar to cheer up is very different to telling someone who's maybe dealing with a bit of stress or anxiety to, you know, think positively. Now, this is my obviously issue, not issue, but I'm trying to find it. I'm finding it very difficult is like, if I say to you guys, what does the word mental mean to you? I'd say crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. Just what, what not, not it, it, it was an insult at, at primary school, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, he's mental. He's, yeah, he's, he's like crazy, yeah. loony. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when okay. you hear the word mental health, it does, it, yeah, yeah. it has the same impact. So do you change the way you talk about it? So it's more of, I, I truly agree that it needs to be more of a positive kind of approach to it. Um, because every time you do, if I try and do an event about mental health, hardly anyone wants to turn up because yeah. you know, why do I want to go and listen to someone talk about depression? But if you created it about positivity or, mm. you know, mindset's a better way of saying it. Yeah, um, mindset, or you could use like cognitive health or something like that. Yeah, yeah. you know, mental wellness, even, what did someone say the other day? Like mind happiness or something along those lines. But I, I, I was very similar to you. Like the doctor said I was depressed the symptoms of grief and depression are very similar. So I don't know whether I was just struggling to grieve or I was depressed, but the way I got over it was, you know, exercise was, you know, focusing on doing something that I like to do and, mm. um, you know, reading, I was really into spiritual books and holistic sort of therapy. And, but yeah, it's a fine line between how we approach. Yeah. So, and I guess with your content, you, you have to be kind of careful in the messages that you're spreading. Um, And I've had people say what I'm saying is wrong and, you know, I'm not qualified. And, but then nine times out of 10, 90 or 99% of people will prefer listening to someone by experience than by qualifications. I'm sure you probably have experienced something similar as well. And in any line of work, that's creative, but a lot of times, you know, people always say, what qualifications have you got to be able to do that? But yeah, I have to be careful. But I also know that I'm only, again, it comes back to intent. I'm doing mm-hmm. it in the right way. Yeah. If one video gets loads of people saying, shouldn't have said that, then I'm happy to take it down. And, and also as well, I've done a couple of talks now in companies. And if there's a question they ask me, or how do you treat someone with bipolar? Again, I'm very easy to say, I cannot answer that. Yeah. Um, but here's, I can then signpost them. Yeah. Here's yeah. Some, something that you can look up or here's someone that you can talk to I think that awareness is really important because people don't know where to look or what to say or what to do so just pointing people in the right direction I think you're doing a great service just by doing that yeah and I always say especially in in a workplace is we treat we treat so if you think of mental health first aid and physical first aid, yeah. physical health first aid, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're pretty much the same, but we treat mental health first aid very differently. We have to, we think that we have to solve their problems. Mm-hmm. So like if I intervene and I, I'm already thinking, I need to sort out your head, I need to make sure that everything's okay, or we just ignore it. I'll just walk past you and say, I'm not qualified and I can't help you. I always say with a first aid, if someone's broken their leg, you don't, well, nine times out of 10, you don't just walk past them. Yeah. <laughs> you'll stand with them. You'll wait till the ambulance comes. You get them in the ambulance and then they go. You also wouldn't start operating on their broken leg. Mm-hmm. 
So mental health first aid is exactly the same thing. You know, approach them, show compassion, support them, and then signpost to the experts, to people that can then help. Yeah, and talking is really important as well, mm. isn't it? I think because uh, for what you were saying, Ad, we a lot of people don't know what to say so they don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And I think just bringing up a conversation with like, because you've got your thing about asking if someone's all right twice, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a campaign, Time to Change, it's called Ask Twice, because if you say, how are you? You're like, right. I'm fine, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. How was your weekend? Yeah, it was great. When really, your weekend could have been terrible, but you're always going to say, it was great, or I'm yeah. fine. So the Ask Twice, if you say, how are you? I'm fine, but you have noticed maybe behavior changes or mm-hmm. change in their way they've been don't be afraid to say you sure everything's okay i've noticed that you've been turning up to work late or and then that might get them to actually open up but for me compassion is everything like if you do it from a compassionate point of view a lot of the times they might open up if you do it in a dictating kind of well tell me what's your problem they just they just won't yeah yeah i think we've again with mental health i'm no expert on it but there's just a complete lack of understanding lack of research lack of education around it and there's a lot of unanswered questions that people can't answer because there's none of that there yeah, I think you are an expert on it because I think you've you've dived into it for the past two years and you, I mean, you can't help but if you put that amount of time, dedicate that into something, you can't help but come out the other end knowing more than most people, which makes you an expert. So, yeah, yeah. I suppose it depends what you define an expert as, whether it's that one person who's absolutely at the top of it or just someone who's very, very knowledgeable. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're going to get a baker cake for you or something, you wouldn't necessarily go to a Michelin star chef who would be the expert. You'd go to someone who was like a, a family member or something who yeah. knows good at baking. So I think it, an expert is not necessarily just that top of the field. It's anyone who's just got experience. In yeah, that's true. That's very that's true. Absolutely. And I think isn't it? it's, it's accessible, isn't it? You know, a lot of people don't have the money to go and see a therapist. Exactly. But sometimes, you know, me doing a video on, you know, it's not going to cure their problems, but it might make them feel less alone. Or it might, I've had people message me, you know, over the last year saying that video that I watched actually made me go and get professional help or it made me go to the doctors or it made me tell my wife or... So yeah, I think it's it's about the more people that can talk about it, mm. the better. You're like the, the gateway drug of mental health. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call it that. Yeah. <laughs> no, again, I just think it's, when you enjoy the process, it's just, there's, there's no real do it because I want to do it. There's no, this is what I want to achieve with it. Yeah. And yeah, everything seems to fall in place when you enjoy the process. We've talked about that, about on the podcast before of, oh, I'll be happy when I'll be happy if, and really, I mean, you've, you've got it figured out. It's like you love the process. Mm. So, um, you love growing your audience. You love, um, helping people. You love getting the DMS and people saying to you you've affected my life in a positive way so yeah exactly and you know i think it's a really cliche that people say oh, it's not work well sometimes it feels like work sometimes you don't want to do it but nine times out of ten you know you'll just do it it's just i think you have to be wired in a certain way as well i don't think everyone could do what you guys do and what i do but yeah it's enjoying the process and also as well a lot of people say you know how do you speak so openly about it without them actually seeing the last sort of it's nearly 10 years yeah you know people don't see the eight years before i actually wrote the article where i was in really low points i was having i was going to therapy i was reading book after book after book and trying to learn more about me more about my dad and now you're in a place sort of 10 years later that you can stand on stage and 
talk about it. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned earlier that you've been going into into companies and talking to them um, about mental health. I know we've had um, the discussions before of um, I was almost like bullying you into it's okay to make money from this. Um, and I think it's, it's actually critical um, that for you to keep on doing the job that you're doing, um, you have to have your bills paid. Um, and then so you've been exploring various ways of like being booked as a speaker, being a, being a good example. So what are the, the different ways that you're kind of um, turning this basically positive message into, um, into a business? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for me, as you say, it's, it's, I've been very protective of the audience. So, mm-hmm. you know, people, there's a company called BetterHelp. They promote everyone. It's a therapy website and you know i just i haven't want to i haven't wanted to monetize this yet because it's again coming back to the influencer thing it's is this going to devalue what i'm trying to do so so for me i'm making money doing digital marketing for fashion brands which is the bread and butter whilst i'm building this and putting Mm. money into this now as it's growing and the audience is growing and more opportunities are coming i'm now starting to as you say charge for speaking so for example if it's a charity and they've got a little bit of budget and they'll cover expenses i'll do that you know, if it's a hundred pounds, two hundred pounds, oh, again, it'll kind of gauge: is it going to be worth it doing it? And then companies is definitely, as we've said, where potentially there's more profit to be made from speaking, doing workshops, etc. And now I'm also working on a online digital portal for mental health within the workplace. So that's being worked on. It's the idea behind it is we all have intranets, like most companies have intranets. Mm. Also the idea behind it is when I go and do a two hour talk, everyone says, this is great, but what do we do now? Yeah. Or if I find someone at work who's struggling three months later, am I going to remember this two hour presentation? Yeah. So the idea behind it is it's a 24 seven portal. They can log in, they can get videos, resources, every support number related to mental health. You've got Samaritans linked directly to it if they want to call that um, built in HR for each individual company so that's the kind of plan as well to maybe monetize it that's such a good idea because I, I think the more that you're able to turn it into a business the more you'll be able to help exactly because the money will be like it'll just make life so much easier yeah. um, you'll be able to you'll be in a position where you'll be able to pay for advertising yeah. you'll be able to outsource the editing of your videos and all, all that sort of stuff that just takes the stress off and will just allow you to just focus on what it is that you do which is talk about mental health and you I can agree, yeah. fully go in and i found it very it found it felt very uncomfortable to start everyone's like why don't you just start charging for 20 pounds for people to have an hour's conversation with you mm. or but i found it very uncomfortable to promote to the audience like to promote to sufferers to promote to people that are struggling with mental health i've never wanted to sell to them even with my book i'll just gradually say i'll oh, go buy my book and you know nine pound i think i make 50p from it so by doing this, as you say, I'm still monetizing it, but instead of going direct to consumer, it's more of let's try and make some money from businesses and workplaces mm. rather than, you know, someone that can't pay for therapy. For It's the same for us. Like we're so aware of, of who our audience is. And for a lot of them, they have their own business um, and they're, they're maybe just starting out and they don't have a lot of money. So the last thing we want to do is say, give us a thousand pounds for our online course. It's like, for us, that's not what we want this podcast to be. Like we want XYZ brand to come to us and say, well, let's put on an event in London. We'll pay you to be there. 
And then we can then use that money to outsource the editing of the podcast or something yeah. like that. You know, it's like, I think that as soon as you... It, it drives me crazy. I mean, it must work because you see all of these like Facebook ads for online funnels and all of that sort of stuff. So I guess it must work and people yeah. are buying these courses and stuff and it's, it's big business and especially Facebook ads. Like yeah. every Facebook ad I see is someone trying to get me to buy their course so that I can yeah, yeah. go and sit on a beach in Thailand with my laptop. <laughs> yeah. I used to, <laughs> it's funny you say that. That's why I got into the whole, that's why I started a business. So that worked on The whole internet marketing. Yeah. Work on a laptop. And I did some, I worked with a guy who was one of the youngest self-made millionaires on online so he sold a digital course about how to make how to get rich online and it's by selling a course to get yeah, rich yeah, online exactly. that's how you do it it's maybe 47 dollars and i'll teach you how i made four million <laughs> it's crazy yeah it's changing though again back then it was okay but ebooks and and like you say you guys selling a 10 dollar ebook me selling a, i always say dollars because it's just the way i've been why yeah. a 10 dollar ebook to people how many ebooks have you got to sell to actually make enough money to pay the mortgage yeah whereas if you go in and sell b2b or business to business i always find it you've only got to sell you know one or two or three or four to be able to you know make an income from it but yeah if you look at the business for the last i've done it for a year now sharing every single day on social media about mental health it's the worst business ever i've hardly made any money from it, the time I've spent on it but as you say it's like make your money elsewhere build that up and then eventually hopefully that will become full-time business Definitely. Yeah. What, what would you tell your 19 year old self? 19? Oh, no. Kerbal. Um, oh, that's a big one. I would say, it's, it's kind of cliche actually, but I would say patient and also be grateful. So, again, there's two things there, but I say gratitude and patience is two of the things that I've worked on in the last year and they've really helped me. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I say now about my dad, it was terrible that it happened. But I'm so grateful that I had a dad for 18 years. Yeah. You know, I had that dad, that role model to look up to that, you know, I learned a lot from, whereas mm. a lot of people haven't ever had that. You know, my brother's accident, again, terrible, but I'm grateful that he's still alive. I'm grateful that he's mental capacities there, that we joke around, we still watch office reruns and we laugh. <laughs> so I think if you're always looking at the negatives, it's, it's, it's never going to And then patience as well. If I was 19, I wanted to be a millionaire by 19 yeah. <laughs> I started business at 19 I'm going to be a millionaire at 19 and even I'm 28 now I still f I think you know if you just do it for another 10 years you're still Gary Vee always talks about it and I'm just kind of repeating what he says but I, I just, it just never sunk for me but the last year those two have really so yeah 19 year old Paul be patient be grateful for what you've got where can people find you online <laughs> um, Instagram pmcgregor.com um, same with Facebook Twitter um, and then email if you want to email me paul at pmcgregor.com wicked cool. I'm uh, yeah I'm glad to have you in my life and uh, I look forward to seeing thanks for having me everything you do. No, you're thanks, so much thanks for coming thanks for listening we're trying to help a lot of people with this show so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message if you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today or they just need a little nudge in the right direction pass this podcast on to them if you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever. If you can leave us an iTunes review, it makes a huge difference. See ya.